All right, guys, back by popular demand, our resident legal expert. Hey there, welcome to Build Your Tribe. My name is Shaleen Johnson. And my name is Brock Johnson. My mission is to share with you everything I've learned from my 25 years in business, from idea inception to big business marketing strategies. And my goal is to share with you social media money-making strategies to help you transform your idea into passive income even when you have limited time and a tight budget. Now, to be clear, the advice that Autumn Witt Boyd, my guest today, is going to share with you is not to be construed as legal advice. You want to consult with your own legal representation to make sure your legal protections are in place for your specific business. Having said that, it's awfully nice to have someone who gets us. So the reason why I've invited Autumn to return as a guest of Build Your Tribe is because She's really an expert at intellectual property rights. What are intellectual property rights? It's the stuff that you're creating. It's the stuff that you come up with. It's the unique ideas that spring from your brain. And guess what? They're incredibly valuable, but they've got to be protected. Autumn is an expert at helping entrepreneurs just like you succeed at building and protecting their online empires. Autumn Witt Boyd, thank you so much for being a returning guest to Build Your Tribe. Thank you. We had so much fun last time. I'm excited to do it again. It's great to have this type of information, like somebody who really understands what we do. When I say we, people are building an online business because that's what you've done. You know what we forgot to mention in my last podcast is that you have a podcast too. I do. It's called The Legal Roadmap. And that's how I found you as a guest. I can't remember what it was I was searching, but it was around trademarking. Wonderful. I listened to several podcasts on the topic. You know, I just did a search in the app, the podcast app. I just searched for trademark advice, trademark, whatever, legal advice, and several podcasts popped up. And when I listened to yours, I'm like, oh, she gives it to you quick and easy and to the point and she gets it. So I had to have you on as a guest. And now oh, you're a returner. <laughs> Hopefully a regular. So let's get into some of the things that I think I want to preface by saying these are recommendations and suggestions. Autumn is, of course, not giving you legal advice, but these are things to be aware of. Hopefully, they quiet your concerns, but they shouldn't stop you in your tracks. I think oftentimes I have listeners of Build Your Tribe who are so worried about anything being wrong that they never pull the trigger. So we're going to encourage people to pull the trigger. Yes. But let's start first with naming my business. So I've come up with this amazing idea. It's a super creative, unique name. No one's ever thought of anything like this name before. And I just checked GoDaddy and it's available. And I want to build an empire around it. So what's my next step? Perfect. Well, I would like for you to do two more searches before you buy that domain. So save your money and take five or 10 minutes. And this is all totally free. So I want you to go on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website, and it's uspto.gov. Again, it's totally free, and do a trademark search. So see if anyone else has registered the trademark to this name already, because if they have, you could get in trouble. And by the way, that uspto.gov website is very antiquated. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not very easy to use, but if you search around and read through a lot of the text, you'll eventually find a link where you can do a trademark search. I don't have it open in front of me at the moment, but if I recall, they say that you can do multiple types of searches, trademark searches. What is, type of search do you recommend that we do? So I would just do the words for the name. Mm. It's much trickier to do a logo or a visual search. Right. But you can do the name. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I would start. And if you want to get to the right place quicker, if you just Google USPTO and then the letters T as in Tom, E as in Edward, S as in Sam, S as in Sam, it's test, T-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. So USPTO test, that's the name of the search tool. So that'll send you to the right page. But I agree. It is a little bit tricky to find if you're yeah. just flicking around. But the search itself is pretty easy once you get there. Awesome. This incredible name that I came up with for my new product, I just did a search there, a preliminary search, and I see, at least it looks to me, no one has a trademark for that. Good news. Okay, so now what do I do? Yes, so as you're looking at your results, the thing to keep in mind is you only need to worry about things that are similar to what you plan to do under the name. So similar products or similar services. So for example, when we created a workout program called Turbo Kick. There was a Turbo Kick, if I'm not mistaken, a Turbo Kick that was an automotive piece or an automotive part. Mm. And we were able to get the trademark still for Turbo Kick because it was in a completely different category. Right. So another great example of that is like Delta Airlines and Delta Faucets. So the exact same trademark, but two totally different industries. So as you're searching, just keep in the back of your mind that the thing that the trademark is supposed to protect is against customers getting confused. So when you have the two totally different industries, you're not going to have a customer being confused. What happens if I do see someone is using the name that I want and I just don't know enough about the category they're saying that they're in or their business, but I assume it's very different? Am I safe or is that when I need to speak to an attorney? Yeah, I would say if it's a tricky area, you might speak with an attorney at that point. Or if you're risk averse, if you just want to, you know, avoid any potential problems, just choose a new name. And what if someone had the trademark or maybe filed for the trademark and then they've abandoned it? So generally, that means it might be available, but you're going to want to do this second search that I'll talk about in a minute for common law rights. So those are unregistered trademarks because you could have someone who still has rights even if they're not registered. Yes. Well, let's talk about common law rights. Yeah. So these are state law rights. So when you register with the USPTO, those are nationwide federal rights. Your unregistered common law trademark rights are going to be automatic. So you get these just by using a name or a logo or a slogan in your business. So these are automatic. And if you search, you might not find them on the USPTO website because you don't have to register them. But they are trademark rights. And the first person to use either a name or a slogan or a logo with a particular type of product or service, they win. It's like a race. (laughs) So the first person to use a trademark gets all the rights. So if you're coming after them, you don't have any rights. Interesting. So I think I've created this name, let's say Turbo Kick, and I file my trademark and I receive it. But then the person who has been teaching a kickboxing class and calling it Turbo Kick for 30 years. She sees this. She can take my trademark and take it away from me because she has the common law right to it. Absolutely. Dang. That's why it's 
so important to do this search before you invest a lot of time and money in building a brand. You want to make sure there's nobody out there lingering. But when you say the search, that person, for example, wouldn't have shown up in the USPTO search that I'd done. Right. So that's why there's two other searches that I'm going to recommend. First is just a Google search. So type it in, see what pops up, but go to like the fourth or fifth page. So kind of dig a little deeper. Yep. And then the second one is going to be your own state's secretary of state or whatever business search you can do to find if there's another business with the same name. Because you might have, you know, the guy down the street who doesn't have a website and is not going to show up on the Internet. So do we just search our own state? That's what I usually recommend for new businesses. Mm -hmm. If you're launching something really big and you've got a lot of money behind it, you would want to do a more in-depth search. Mm. But for new businesses, that's going to get you, you know, 99% of where you need to go. And all of these searches you can do in about 10 or 15 minutes. It's taking me much longer to describe what you have to do than it does to actually do them. There's so many listeners to Build Your Tribe who have domain names Mm -hmm. that has evolved into their business name and they haven't trademarked it. Do they need to trademark it? So it depends. If you're using it as a trademark, so it's not only your domain name, but maybe it's the name people think of when they think of you. Mm -hmm. So it's basically become the name of your business. Okay. You know, you have those common law trademark rights and you have them wherever you've been using it. So if it's nationwide, you have those rights nationwide. But here are some of the benefits that you're going to get from that federal registration with the USPTO. You have those common law rights, but we don't know if, in fact, there's someone who has rights that were established prior to ours. Right. You're never 100% sure, but if you're doing a search, okay. and I think this is a search that you should really be doing maybe once a year or every six months to evaluate the marketplace and see what else is out there, mm-hmm. you know, you can feel pretty confident. And if I see that someone else is already using it, but they don't have a trademark, and I see that maybe they're less active, <laughs> I've done this before, it's like, oh, they haven't updated their blog in seven years, <laughs> we're safe. <laughs> what do we do if we see, we can tell that someone is Maybe they've reserved an Instagram name or a blog or a a domain name, but they're not using it. Mm -hmm. Should we consider ourselves safe? Do we reach out to them or do we, you know, not poke the bear? Yeah, it's really at that point, it's a matter of evaluating what's your risk tolerance and how risky do you think that other company is? So I'll look at things like even if they're not posting to their blog, they still have products and services up for sale. You know, there's some ways you can kind of do some digging. Is it a really giant company or was it just, you know, one woman in her garage mm-hmm. <laughs> posting on a blog? You have to do some research at that point and a little bit of digging and then figure out how risky do you think it is and how risk tolerant are you? Because there is always some uncertainty. You can never be 100% sure. Okay. So I do those searches and then what's my next step? So the next step is just make your evaluation and decide, do you think this is too risky or do you think... It fits your own risk tolerance and either move forward or choose a new name. And there's no magic answer. It really is. It's going to be different for every business. Mm -hmm. And this is often when if you are a little further along or you have some capital you're investing, you will want to pull a lawyer in to help you make that evaluation. I would also say if you're thinking in the future that you may at some point sell your business, it's really important that you have any of those trademarks and patents. You have the licenses. You have the paperwork, as they say, the receipts. Otherwise, that's a big headache for your potential suitors. Yes, totally. They are going to want to see that that's all locked down and done the right way. How much, generally speaking, does it cost to file a trademark? So it varies wildly. Mm. 
you can file it on your own and only pay the USPTO filing fees. Which is? So those filing fees, it's $225 is the lowest level, but that's per category of products or services. So t-shirts are going to be in one category, videos are going to be in another, online services are going to be in another, downloads are in another. So you can rack up those fees pretty quickly doing a lot of things. Wow. So that's the fees alone. Mm -hmm. And then if you work with a lawyer, it can vary anywhere from, you know, maybe $1,000 at the low end to tens and tens of thousands at the very high end. And that's not including the fees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely something I consider an investment in your business. And Mm -hmm. I only recommend it for businesses that are already making a profit that have already kind of shown, you know, unless you are a startup that that's really well funded and you just have (laughs) a lot of cash to spend on things like this. (laughs) I usually recommend waiting a little bit and not worrying about that registration until you're sure that you love the name. Because I'm sure you see this too, Shaleen. A lot of my clients will start out with one name that they love and then they pivot or they, you know, the audience that they thought they were going to serve ends up not being a good fit and they move to a different. So they end up changing their name once or twice in the first year or two. All the time. Mm. Yeah, all the time. I do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband wants to shoot me. He's like, are you kidding? Do you know we have to file another trademark if we do that? I'm like, okay, okay, fine. (laughs) We'll keep it. So if I'm looking into filing a trademark, I've seen it advertised places like LegalZoom, etc. At what stage do you think you are prudent in seeking legal counsel? So I think if you're going to file a trademark, and this is just my opinion, Mm -hmm. if you're going to make the investment of the filing fees, it's worth waiting until you can make the investment in a lawyer to work mm-hmm. with you one-on-one because yep. LegalZoom is basically just helping you fill out a form, but they're not going to answer all these questions that we've been talking about, help you do the search and make sure you're evaluating what potential problems could pop up. They're not helping you make sure that you file the right paperwork, which can be really tricky. It looks simple, but it's not. And there are actual lawyers at the USPTO that look at every application and they're basically looking for a reason to deny it. So I think it's 80% of USPTO applications get some sort of correspondence from the attorney asking you a question or asking you to change something. And at that point, a lot of people just don't know what to do if they haven't been working with a lawyer. And so they just give up at that point. But a lot of it can be fixed really easily if you're working with someone who knows what they're doing. I will say from the very beginning of our business, the one advice that I've shared with people is never, ever skimp on your legal services. That's just one thing that Brett and I, you know, long before we had the money to pay for high-priced attorneys, we would always find the best attorney who was experienced, not just like so-and-so's sister who just graduated from law school, which is great, but someone who specializes, understands the small print, can really anticipate potential problems and headaches, and it has returned to us that investment in dividends. Well, and so many things are really inexpensive. To, I mean, they're not inexpensive, but they're much less expensive to do on the front end. And later when you have a problem, it costs 10 times or more yes. to fix them. And you can, like with trademarks and copyrights, you can lose rights that you can't get back. Mm, that's what we're going to talk about next. So if I apply for a trademark and I'm denied, do they keep those fees? Oh, yeah. They are not refunded. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer. That's not nice. Who could we talk to? That pays for all those attorneys at the USPTO who are denying all those applications. I'm going to write a letter. That's not nice. (laughs) Therefore, when you're looking at the categories that you want, like that's where you can really carve out some rights, right? If you're really forward thinking Mm -hmm. about all the different ways your business could grow, 
that's where I would think it's pretty important to consider future categories. Exactly. There's a way that you can file an application called intent to use. So you might not be doing it today, but you intend to do it fairly soon. And you can kind of plant your flag in the sand so no one else can come after you within a certain period of time. Mm. And it gives you a little time to get that. You know, if it's a coffee mug you want to put in production or a series of journals or something like that. Mm-hmm. What about copywriting? So I'm curious how much we need to know about copywriting, like when it comes to our blog and things that we've got, maybe ebooks, other documents, checklists, premiums, etc. Absolutely. So I think this is an area where a lot of online entrepreneurs are leaving holes. And if it's something creative, so trademarks are going to protect things that identify your business, so like your name, your slogan, your logo. Copyrights are going to protect creative things in your business. So all the things you were just mentioning, worksheets, video courses, podcast episodes, any kind of creative content. And of course, also videos, graphics, I'm trying to think songs, <laughs> things that most of us are not necessarily doing are also covered by copyright. But what I see is a lot of people who maybe have a course that's got a ton of incredible content that you spent a ton of time and money putting together. If it's not registered with the copyright office, and this is where copyright is a little bit different than trademark, you have to register your copyright to be able to file a lawsuit. So copyright registration, I think, is an area where a lot of people are kind of leaving themselves unprotected. How do we do that? So it's much easier than trademark registration. The website's even uglier. Mm. And it is copyright.gov.gov. Okay. There's a button that says register a copyright. It will take you through a form. I will say it's a little bit confusing, but the copyright law is very forgiving if you make a mistake. So you can kind of just do your best. I would love for everyone to have a lawyer, but it's not as essential for a copyright. Okay. And the filing fees are much lower. So it's $35 to $55 per work. So it's much more affordable. Okay. So then does that mean that I should be filing for each and every podcast that I do? So I think you have to think about what's making you money and what are you worried about someone copying and you know making money off of. So podcast episodes, I don't really think so. I mean, are you worried about someone copying an interview? Probably not. Guess what? Everybody does, right? <laughs> like like I, listen, I listen to people. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's that fine. is my exact phrase. I invented that. Yes. But I just chalk it up to, well, that's flattering. Right. Like it's not that they have said that they've, created the one three one method, you know? Right, right. But I also suspect that there's some things that you believe are your IP, your intellectual property, right? Your brilliant idea, and that people tweak it slightly, rename it, and call it their own. That's where it's tricky. And that's where it's tricky to protect yeah. those kinds of things? Yeah, because you can't register the copyright or you can't copyright an idea. So let's say you have a method or a way that you do things. You can't stop someone from basically making the same method. But what you can protect is the exact way that you write out that method in a worksheet or the steps that you take people through in a video course. If I can just run down a quick list of things that people might want to consider copywriting, I would say an ebook, a course. Courses, I think, are the main thing that people okay. need to start thinking about because I have seen those totally copied. Mm. And a lot of us are making a lot of money off of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, here's my. I guess the other thing you have to evaluate, right, is because if I'm going to file for this copyright, that means that I'm committed to protecting it. So, for example, every single week we hear from people who have said, you know, Shaleen, this course that you offered, it's a $2,000 course. I bought it when it was on sale for 200 
and it only gave me the first three lessons. Where's my refund? And what we found out is that there's a bajillion of these fake sites that they are searching for people or searching for a particular course. They've pirated them. They're selling them at a massive discount. There's no customer service and it's not the complete course. Sometimes it's a bootleg couple of pieces of it. They pop up every single week. It's so frustrating. And we've spent a small fortune trying to take them down. Playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. And so, you know, we just had this conversation internally and I was like, do we care? Like at a certain point, it's costing us more than we're losing. Yeah. So copyright law is a little different than trademark law. With trademarks, you do have a duty to shut down people who are too similar because that's going to make confusion in the marketplace. If there's 50 Shalines, how do we know which one is Shaleen Johnson? Mm -hmm. But with copyright, you can kind of pick and choose who you go after. Okay. You don't have a duty to go after everybody. You can say, I'm not going to worry about the pirate sites that are a dime a dozen. But Mm -hmm. if it's somebody that is, you know, making a million dollars off of the same course, then I'm going to worry about that one. So if you are afforded a trademark, you are then required to defend it. Talk to us about what that means. So again, there's no rule of exactly what you have to do, but to maintain your rights, you have to stop other people from using it. So what that usually looks like is you set up a Google alert or you do some monitoring of the marketplace to see what's happening and you send a cease and desist letter, or maybe you're a little nicer and you send, you know, just a personal note saying, hey, I saw that you have this course called XYZ. My course has the same name and I was first. Please change your name. Mm -hmm. And that will stop it in a lot of cases. I mean, it is an undertaking. Mm -hmm. So I think people have to think about that when they're registering a trademark. What you're really buying is the right to enforce it. And that is more money, more time, more energy. So it has to be worth all of that investment. Interesting. I recall when... I forget her first name right now. It's escaped me, but the gal who has a trademark for Girl Boss. Mm. Is it Sophia Amoruso? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I remember hearing from so many <laughs> girl bosses that I know who had used it maybe like in a blog or mm-hmm. maybe even used it as part of their unregistered business name. And they received the, you know, cease and desist letter and how upset and irate they were over getting that letter. And that was a good lesson for me because we have to protect, as you might assume, our own trademarks. And I remember people reaching out to me and saying, like, I thought she was so cool. And then I got this bitchy letter. She's <laughs> rude. I was her biggest fan. Now I hate her. And I thought, well, you know, it's not even her. I'm sure it's a firm that's been outsourced to protect her mark. But it was a good lesson for me because I thought, you know, the people who we're going to have to crack down on are the people who are using our trademark. And they're also our biggest fans. Right. So I want to write this letter in a way that says, like, thank you. It's so flattering. Mm -hmm. And an explanation because you can feel awfully defensive. Like, geez, I'm just your fan. And that's why I was using this term. And it can feel very accusational. Yeah. And I've worked with clients to write kind of template letters that they use in their business that says, basically, I hate to do this, Mm. but I have to under the U.S. law. You know, to keep my trademark rights, I have to stop other people from using it. I don't really have a choice. Beautiful. Because I think when people understand that, it's just business. And I know nobody likes it, but it is a requirement. Mm, Very good. With regard to looking at names that people are using, etc. What about names that are similar? So that is an area under trademark law that's a little bit gray. It will be a problem if it's similar enough that it would confuse someone. 
Do you think I could get girly boss? Probably not. <laughs> and there's no black and white rule, but they kind of look at the overall impression that the mark gives. So if the trademark that's registered has eight words and you're using seven of them, you know, that's awfully similar. But maybe the trademark that's registered only has two words like girl boss and yours has 10. So you're saying, you know, girl boss moms who do X, Y, Z, you know, sure. If you're changing it enough by adding other words or other elements that are more dominant, then they will look at that. Okay. But you do need to be careful. It is not just exact matches. It is things that sound alike or things that are really similar. Or you just add the word the or you make it plural. That will be a problem. And when people write copyright name of business 2018, does that afford them any protection when they're just simply putting that in their text and they actually haven't filed a copyright? Right. So it doesn't give them any extra protection, but what it does is it puts people on notice that they are asserting copyrights. Okay. So it would prevent someone from coming along and later arguing, well, I thought it was okay to use that photo because there wasn't a copyright notice. You know, no, I put this on here and you might put something like all rights reserved or no use without permission. Okay. So it's just really clear, you know, hey, I'm sticking my claim to this thing. Please don't use it. And that's a prudent practice. That's not. It is. Okay. Yeah, it's not required. It used to be required. It's not required anymore, but it's just a good business practice. When we're talking about names, because I know a lot of our listeners are probably now going to consider, okay, do I need to file a trademark? Should I get more serious about a name? Or maybe they're in the beginning stages of creating a business that they haven't yet named. Let's talk about what types of names are easiest to trademark and protect. Ah, that's a great question. So there's kind of a spectrum. Think about, you know, a ruler. And at one end are what we call descriptive trademarks or generic trademarks. So these are things like clock or lamp. They just basically say what the thing is. Or another favorite example I have is Chattanooga Pizza Company. It literally just says, you know, where it's located and what the thing is. Those are really hard to protect. Because the trademark office doesn't want to prevent another business from being able to say what they do. You know, hey, we're a pizza company. So I would stay away from things like that. Anything that's really descriptive, you know, Shaleen's Flower Shop, really descriptive. Got it. Even like, you know, web design. If you're just saying whatever the thing is that you sell or the thing that you do, that's going to be hard to protect. Mm -hmm. On the other end are what we call arbitrary or fanciful. These are the made up words. Google. Yes, I think Google <laughs> is a real word, but that's a great example. Is it? I don't know. Or like huh. words that are misspelled, but they sound the same. Yeah. So we have like a company called Nectar here, but it's spelled with a K-T-U-R, like it's spelled the wrong way. Uber. Yes, Uber. Exactly. So things like that. Or also you can think of Apple. So Apple is a thing, but it has nothing to do with computers. So is that a fanciful word or? Yeah, that is going to be, I think, fanciful. I don't have my list pulled up in front of me. But yeah, so you want to think about things that are totally not descriptive as being at the other end of the spectrum. And then most things are going to fall kind of somewhere in between. I see. So we have things that are suggestive. So that would be like Jaguar for a car. So a Jaguar doesn't have anything to do with a car, but Jaguars are fast and sleek and kind of luxurious looking. So it kind of gives a suggestion of the thing that you're doing or the thing you're selling. Like, for example, Apple, I would have thought that would have been so hard to get a trademark for, but I guess it's in which category? Exactly. Yeah. If you were trying to register Apple with fruit, you'd probably have a hard time. But Apple for computers is great because it has nothing to do. You know, basically the trademark office wants you to use a word that you're going to have to build 
brand awareness of Mm -hmm. that it doesn't just make someone think of what it is that you do we could have saved i mean honestly if we had known this initially when it comes to naming our program the 131 method had we known that up front and we didn't talk to an attorney for the process we used an attorney obviously to file Mm -hmm. but i think this is so helpful autumn because you know even when people start thinking you often start with a name before they know anything else about their business and that name, right? honestly, is going to be something, you know, eventually maybe you'll sell that business and you want to protect your assets. You want to have a trademark that you can defend. And it's much easier to get a trademark where, as you've said, you're using a fanciful word or maybe even a suggestive word, but not a generic word. Yes. And when it comes, to, for example, with our program, it was in the category of health, fitness, weight loss. Absolutely anything you can think of. That would be just a little bit descriptive or even, you know, tell you a little bit about what it is or, you know, tell someone who sees the name what it does. Nothing is available in that category. I mean, nothing. Mm -hmm. But it's so great to think about this early on, like you said. And these are things that don't cost anything. Yes. I guess what I'm suggesting is that, you know, we want a name that would initially that would tell people what it is. Exactly. And. We spent so much time, so many weeks just coming up with names, coming up with names, then doing searches and nothing, nothing, nothing was available. And I really wish from the beginning that we had thought of how important it was to, you know, you're going to have to build the awareness around it anyways, right? Like it wasn't too many years ago. We didn't know what Google was. And now it's an adjective and a verb and and a company. So if you can stay towards that arbitrary, suggestive, fanciful side of the ruler, you're going to be a lot better off. And you're going to have a stronger trademark. I mean, we were talking about the girl boss trademark earlier. That's a lot closer to that descriptive end of the ruler. And so that's also harder to defend. Yeah. Because even if you can get it registered, if you did have to file a lawsuit, that's going to be one of the things the other side is going to argue that they're going to try and overturn your registration by saying it's descriptive. This shouldn't have been granted in the first place. Wow. So that's a weak trademark. Actually, I wanted to ask you one more question, and that is about photo use. So Mm. I know that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they first start out and they're blogging or creating content for social media, they'll Google search, find an image, add a quote on top of it, or for whatever purpose they're going to use it. But they've just found it by using Google images. And now they're using a photo, which I suspect they don't have the rights for. Yes. Talk to me about that. So just stop doing this. Everyone stop doing this. This is copyright infringement. So. The way the copyright works in the U.S. is that whoever takes the picture, creates it, they own all the rights. And so they have the right to say who gets to use it and who doesn't. So unless you have a document in your files or an email or something that says, yes, you can use this photo, you are very likely infringing someone else's rights. And you could be sued for lots and lots of dollars, enough to probably shut down most businesses. And now there are new technologies that basically crawl the internet and it's robots and they've got a bank of images and they're crawling the internet looking for those same images on other people's websites. And they'll find them. They will find them. I recently had a client that we dealt with. He was a blogger and so he had some clients that he had grabbed images for their blogs and they were not properly licensed. And Mm -hmm. he got a demand letter, you know, asking for 10 or $20,000 per image. Wow. And he could have been sued for up to $150,000 per image. That's the max damage and the attorney's fees. So it's big dollars. Are we safe if we're using a site that offers 
stock images? I would say if you have a subscription or you're visiting a reputable stock site, then yes, absolutely. If you're going to some of these free stock sites, that's a little riskier because there are photos on there that shouldn't be there sometimes. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But like Getty, Corbis, there's lots of, and I think Adobe has one even now. There's lots of ways to get really inexpensive stock images now. So I just don't think there's any excuse for, for not doing this the right way. And the risks are really, really great. Yeah, apparently. And if you're talking to the new entrepreneur, and I hope that we haven't scared anyone, I hope we've just given you information. Yeah, information. Hopefully it'll save you a lot of money in the long run. But don't let it stop you. Keep moving forward. Take your own pictures. I mean, that's one great <laughs> idea. <laughs> that's true. That is true. You're never going to get in trouble if you took your own pictures or if you asked someone for permission. And as you said, there's so many sites out there now that are very reputable and you can buy copywritten photography and you can actually even sell your work to them. Yes. I mean, and we're talking maybe $10 a month or $20 a month subscriptions. They're very inexpensive. Yeah. Or, you know, 10 or $15 for a single photo. Like it's, it's not expensive. I don't think people realize you can do the same thing with video clips too. I mean, we mm-hmm. bought so much stock video footage that just helps us to tell a story. Yeah. And music. I mean, my podcast intro, I paid, I think 50 bucks for that like clip of music that we use under me talking. <laughs> Wonderful. And I can use it forever. Gosh, we could probably, and we probably should schedule a follow-up and talk all about music use. Yes. But before we get to music, and, and we'll schedule that for another day, last piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs when it comes to making sure you are buttoned down from a legal standpoint, do you have kind of like a, okay, you want to make sure you've done this, this, and this? Yes. So my top, top recommendation, I know the trademarks and copyrights are fun to talk about, Mm -hmm. but what's really important is to look at however you're making money in your business. So Mm -hmm. if you're a service provider and you're doing one-on-one work, or if you're selling digital courses or digital products, whatever your income stream is, I want you to have some sort of contract around that with your customers. What does that mean? So with your one-on-one services, it would just be a client contract. Okay. So where people say, you know, yes, I'm agreeing to pay X dollars and I'm going to get these five things. I'm going to get these deliverables or I'm going to have five calls or whatever it is that you're doing. And then you have some really basic terms around what happens if one of us wants to quit or what happens if I want a refund or what happens if we have an argument where you just got that spelled out really clearly so that if you have a disagreement later, you can both go back and look, oh, this is what we agreed to in the beginning. Okay. So crucial. However you're making money, I want to make sure that you have some sort of written agreement around that. Got it. And especially with all of us taking credit cards now, I've seen a lot of chargebacks and credit card disputes, and that will go a long way if you find yourself in that situation. It sure will. And then with digital products and courses, the way that looks is terms of use. So that is, again, it's your contract with your customers, and it tells them, hey, I own all the copyrights in this stuff. You can't go put it on a pirate website or you can't give it to your friend. Mm -hmm. If you have rules, maybe you have an online community or a Facebook group for people in your program. It gives them rules of the road for how they can behave there. Again, it would have the same things about whether you give refunds or what if someone wants to quit? How is that all handled? What happens if you have a dispute? So it just really that is the best way to cover your behind. And it does not have to come from a lawyer. You can use a template. You can write it yourself, especially if you're just getting started. It's one of those things. I would rather you have something than nothing. Excellent advice. Quick story. We have a digital course formerly called Instagram Impact, and we received notification from Instagram. Ironically, after we'd spent like a boatload of money advertising it on Instagram, so they knew, I assume. You caught their attention. Yeah, yeah. 
But, you know, we'd been advertising this course with them for a long time. And then suddenly we got this cease and desist letter that we couldn't call it Instagram Impact. We couldn't use a camera icon, even though our icon was different. We couldn't use Instagram in our name Mm -hmm. or any part of, we could refer to Instagram within the program, but we couldn't sell it as Instagram Impact. Right. So then we changed it to IG Impact. And that did not pass muster. (laughs) (laughs) So then we changed it to crazy cool branding. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, but that, you know. No problem there. I know that's really frustrating. It is frustrating. And I see a lot of people doing this. They're offering a Facebook course. And if you're using the title or the social media platform name in the title of your course, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's considered kind of piggybacking on their brand awareness. Yeah, it sure is. So I really appreciate all of this information. I think people who want to learn more, even if you just scroll through Autumn's topics on her podcast, you're going to find areas that you maybe hadn't thought about. Great information. You can learn more about her podcast by going to... It's The Legal Roadmap. There we go. By going to The Legal Roadmap. And Autumn, how often do you release episodes? About once a week. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah, we've done seasons in the past, but we're pretty much continuous now. So the first season, like you said, is Really almost like a course for new business owners of the basics that you need to think about in setting up your business the right way. So I would recommend those first 12 episodes are great for new business owners. Season two is a little bit more for advanced topics. So some of the more sophisticated things like getting a book deal or doing a collaboration or licensing your work. You also have a free download for people to do an IP audit. And IP is intellectual property rights. Just briefly. What are intellectual property rights? So that's going to be copyrights, trademarks. It also includes trade secrets, patents. Those are the main categories. So that's a worksheet that will let you figure out what kind of IP you have in your business that you might need to think about protecting. Excellent. Well, what a wonderful resource you have been for us. Thank you again, Autumn, for being a guest on Build Your Tribe. This has been so fun. Thank you for asking wonderful questions, Shaleen. This episode has been brought to you by the Smart Life Push Journal. If you're the type of individual who loves to make lists, keep yourself on task, get organized, and there just don't seem to be enough hours in the day. This is a convenient, lightweight, simple to use 30-day system. This is not just a day planner. And learn how you can get your health, fitness, life, and goals organized and develop the laser focus you need to have the life that you deserve. Check it out. Go to smartlifepushjournal.com.